Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Series 2 of Not Another Sales Podcast. I'm Chris Hatfield, aka Not Another Sales Guy. I'm a sales and mindfulness coach, trainer, consultant, and speaker. I work with corporate sales teams and leaders, along with startup business owners passionate about what they do, but wanting to up their sales game. My main mission is helping us all become more mindful of how we elevate our performance, perspective, and potential. If you want to know more, then look me up on LinkedIn. Chris Hatfield, always happy to chat. So if you're new to Not Another Sales Podcast, here's what to expect. It's aimed at giving you insights into how you can be successful within the world of sales, whether that's your career or your own business. We go deeper into the thought process and mindset needed for success when selling and when running a business, not just the skills and output. So if you're looking for a podcast with a difference that starts with the mind in mind, this is for you. So enough about me, let's get started. On this week's episode, I'm blessed to be joined by an awesome duet of Alex Elaine and Marcus Chan. Alex, who featured earlier in this series, is the founder of Growth IQ and was ranked third in LinkedIn's top voices globally for sales. Marcus is the founder of Venley Consulting. With over 14 years of award-winning experience in Fortune 500 organizations, he's trained thousands of reps and sold close to 10 figures in sales. And we're gonna be covering three main areas on this episode. The first one, dispelling or tackling that statement that we've all heard, people buy from people. Is it true, is it not? What's going on behind that? The next thing I'm going to be asking Marcus and Alex to share is one top trait they believe every successful seller should need and one or two things that's helped them get to where they are today also. And then finally, we're also going to be talking about some creative ways to get in front of prospects, particularly now, but whenever we're selling, whatever the situation is within the world. So if you want to get an insight into some new ways of selling and listen to a great pair that nicknamed themselves the Rush Hour Twins, then get involved tune in and enjoy. Alex and Marcus, welcome. How are you doing? Hey, great. Happy to be here. <laughs> How are you guys doing? Good, good. Thank you both for joining me on probably what is the first style of Not Another Sales podcast of video and two people on from different locations. We, we like to be trendsetters, so uh, we're delighted to uh, kickstart this with you, Chris. Great, great. And obviously, Alex, you're welcome back to the pod. Um, you're, you're an episode, one of the first that came out in this series. And Marcus, welcome to the first appearance, hopefully of many. Hey, I can't wait. I'm super pumped about this. Our very first of many international three-way podcast interviews. Looking yes. forward to it. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And for, for people that are tuning in for the first time, uh, who might have missed your episode, Alex, and, and haven't come across you before, Marcus, it'd be great to give them a bit of context. So, Marcus, if you could just sort of kick things off of giving people a bit of an overview of who you are. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Marcus Shan. I'm the founder of Bentley Consulting Group. We work directly with sales professionals to help them basically kick ass in sales. Hopefully I can say that on your podcast. Be awesome in did. sales, <laughs> right? So uh, excited. I'm out, I'm out in uh, the United States on the West Coast in Portland, Oregon, and uh, super excited to, uh, to be here. Great. Great. And, and Alex, for people that haven't tuned into what I thought was a, was a great topic and episode around how you perceive failure, um, it'd be great to hear a bit more about yourself. Awesome. Yes, yeah, so Alex Elaine, based out of the UK, as the accent hopefully tells you. I'm the founder of a company called Growth IQ, which is a paper hour sales consultancy uh, where we support hyper growth companies and entrepreneurs to scale their sales results. 
I've uh, been in direct sales for about 10 years now, most recently recognized by LinkedIn as the number three top voice for sales globally. So uh, it's great to be on here, Chris. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, thanks. Glad to be joined by uh, royalty, <laughs> as the road would have suggested before, which we might get in the outtakes. Thank you. <laughs> um, so yeah, what, I'd, what, I'd, what I want to do through this episode with you both is to sort of go through three main areas around this kind of theme for the pod now, we're discussing a, a myth and a statement, uh, getting your insight into what you think is successful in sales, and then giving some of the listeners some some tips to take away. So what I think and why I wanted to address some of these myths in sales is that it's so easy to hear throwaway comments now, particularly on social media of people just putting, you know, inspiring statements next to pictures and just thinking, yeah, everyone's going to get what that means. But I, I think a lot of it can be lost in, in translation. And, and one of those, which we've all heard is, is people buy from people. And, you know, it's something that's thrown around all the time. What I'd love to, to get your opinions on is, you know, what you believe to be true about that statement, what's missing and and what you think needs to be maybe added to it. So, Marcus, first of all, when you hear that from people, what's your take on that when you hear people say or when you say people buy from people? Well, first I laugh. That's the first thing I do, right? Because, I mean, when, you think, when, I, when I hear that term, I mean, when people buy from people, that is true to a certain extent, right? Um, for the most part, people do want to, you know, like the person that they are working with, right? But that's only one piece. That may maybe open the door to that conversation, right? But there are some other really key things that you really want to do before you end up buying from that person, right? Because can you can you also trust them to help provide the right solutions? Can you trust them to ask the right questions? Can you trust them to solve your problem? Like I like a lot of people, right? Well, I wouldn't trust them with my money, right? So my financial advisor, I like her, but I trust her way more. And I also know she has the skills to help me maximize my wealth. So when I think about a salesperson saying, hey, they, they buy from people, buy from people, it is true to a certain extent, but that's such a, a very small part of the equation. On the flip side, um, if I didn't like them, it's also highly unlikely that you, you know I'm going to want to use them too. So you do need that piece still, which is still important, but it's not, not, not the only criteria. It, it's only one small piece of puzzle for a top performing sales professional. Yeah. Yeah. And what, what are your thoughts on that, Alex? Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting one. I think my, my overarching sentiment is that, again, it is to an extent. And a lot of it comes from when you think about the, the buyer's actual desire initially for the product or service can have a massive difference on actually how much a role to play that concept of people buying from people. So if you think of you going to buy a brand new car, for example, a lot of people maybe are a turbocharged about buying the car. They're really excited. Maybe they already know what they want and they've almost sold it to themselves 90% of the way. And they think that the salesperson is, is okay. They're not great. Maybe they know a bit about the car, but not really enough to, to wow them but they are so excited and already really committed about getting the car that they might just buy it anyway. Uh, on the flip side, they could be in a situation where they're in that position and they think that the, the salesperson is, is just really, really poor or not very nice or not friendly to an extent which it tilts them back in the other way. So I think Marcus made a great point that is it is one of 
a number of different criteria which has an, an influence on whether really it's, it's true or not or whether someone decides to buy. It's not the overarching thing that there's, you know, 10, 20 other factors that also play a role. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and to, your, to both your points, actually, you mentioned, Marcus, about, you know, the like versus trust. And I completely agree in that trust is, you know, is key. But being like, do you think that's something that's evolved and become more important with there being so much knowledge now for people to be able to make their own mind up on the product or service that they want to feel a bit more engaged with the person they're buying from? Or do you think it hasn't changed at all? I mean, I think right now, I mean, buyers are smarter than ever, right? I mean, there's so much information online availability from reviews. To, I mean, you can Google Google basically anything, right? Um, and I think it's really, this is where it's really key where it, it, I've always found to be so critical. In that first sales call with a sales professional, it's not about how likable they are. It's not about what sports teams they follow. But like, if that sales professional can ask key questions that shows they are clearly of value and an expert and knowledgeable and how they can provide a valued service to that prospect, that can showcase pretty quickly and stand out. Even if their likability factor is lower, but they can overshadow other ways. And I think it's really, really critical, right? So it's just, I think it's, even with today's time, that's still important, but I mean, they have to improve their other skills, which will naturally increase their likability because you trust them. Yeah. Yeah. Just can I throw a quick point in here as well, Chris? I think there's something for us to, to bear in mind that, you know, in the era that we're in, which is so technology first and there's all these marketing tools and automation tools, that sales and deals are done every day with often zero or no human interaction at mm. all. And there's some organizations that, you know, have a maybe a low ticket, high velocity product or proposition, whereas I say, actually, there's no real humanization throughout the process, right? They, they put up a product and a service, they tell you why it delivers value or how it solves a problem, and you either buy it or you don't buy it. Um, so I, I think we have to also consider that to say, when we talk about people buy from people, there's definitely a role to play, but there's also organizations that are highly successful only using automation. Um, we do tend to see humans maybe playing a role as deal cycles become more complex and buyer needs are a little bit more um, mature or evolved. And we tend to then see, you know, sales professional come in to play a role there. Um, but let's not ignore the fact that deals are done every single day uh, with, with no human involvement at all. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a great point. It's a great point. I think also, you know, the challenge sometimes people have if they, if they focus too much on people buying from people is thinking, I need to be a people pleaser. And then, yes. you know, you can start going a different way in terms of trying to please customers by trying to build a relationship and, and go too far the other way from actually selling them anything and just hoping that they like you. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And that there is something, there is something to consider also on the flip side, I would say is when you look at probably all of us on the call, we, we've spent some time, I guess, building and, and creating personal brands, which mean people start to get a feel for, for who you are almost virtually. And so the reality is, is there's probably a subset of people that have, have um, you know, grown to, to like or feel connected or derive value from the content that each of us pick out. And as a result, maybe feel um, a, a stronger sense to want to make the purchase. But I would probably pull it back to the point Marcus made around around trust. And I think when people go on that journey with you, even virtually, 
of getting to know you, seeing more content from you, it builds implicit trust, which then gives people more confidence in buying. So there is, that's where the strand starts to kick in a bit of, I guess, people buying from people. But I think a lot of it is that grooming and, and growth of trust over time. Yeah. Yeah. I think another point as well that, that probably neglects a big thing when people think about that statement is process is both of you, are, you know, uh, very successful in terms of what you do and you've you've built that from knowing what works and building a process around it and if you're just thinking about people buy from people you're ignoring the kind of steps that you need to go through to make someone see the value in your product or your service as well true completely agree what what would you say is is if you were to add that on in sort of you know adding an asterisk for future note if people said people buy from people what are some of the things that you would say then from this conversation that people need to consider when they're thinking about that statement? What do you think, Marcus? Well, yeah, so I, mean, I think when they're thinking about that statement, like people buy from people, like I think it's, it's, it's important to understand. Um, I think the example of a puzzle is a perfect example, right? Um, that's just one very, very small component. And there are also other things you have to consider as well. Um, you know, from like a what's called a value scale perspective, and and that's probably a great point. When it, it is a lower ticket item, it doesn't really matter as much. I mean, some potentially it can get automated, and it won't matter as much because they can still do, do the very. You don't need a high, you don't need a, a, a sales professional. Really. You just need a, you might just need a person, and that deal is going to be done. So I picture like a retail store for cell phones. Someone walks in your store, you don't really need to be a great salesperson. Right, and you, it's a pretty easy transaction to make. But as you progress into a higher type of, you know, higher ticket items, you know, enterprise deals, etc., uh, there's other skills that are massively important. Likeability is definitely a, a key thing for sure to open the door. But you have to be really good at having like, you know, great active listening skills, being great, being able to communicate, being able to adapt to the situation, being able to work with different buyers within the process because usually it's complex and navigating that to close. So it, it gets more complex the larger the deal size and the, you know when you get to enterprise deals the more complex of a product so it's not as simple as just the you know it's just you know it, you, the, the likable it's like hey okay can they manage a process can they influence are they adaptable can they also have great active listening skills can they adjust their style per each buying influence within an enterprise sale which you might have 10 people that's involved or more so all those things combined together paint the, a beautiful combined jigsaw puzzle of a top professional. Yeah, well put, well put. And what about you, Alex? Yeah, I would almost encourage people to reframe the statement to say people buy when they derive value or derive enough value to compel them to make that purchasing decision. And, you know, value can be on a sliding scale. You know, sometimes I like to think about the example of, you know, if you go to buy a bo bottle of water, you know, it might cost you a, a pound in the shop or for Marcus, a, a dollar in the shop. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you would expect to go and pay that. But if you were stranded out in a desert and someone you hadn't had any water for, for two days and someone offered you that same bottle of water, but said it's $15 and you have $15, you're going to pay the $15 or 15 pounds, right? Because all of a sudden on that needometer, <laughs> you are very, very thirsty it's now a requirement versus a, uh, versus a nice to have. And you're going to go ahead and part with that money to buy it. So when it comes to people buying from people, that's, that's a sold product at that point. 
because the person has built such a compelling need based on the circumstances they're in. So I'd almost just encourage people to, to, to reframe the statement to say people buy when they've derived enough value from your product to your services. Um, and, and the people component is one piece of criteria that can help support that drive towards getting towards a close. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to take to align completely with, with both of yours, I think it's my take on it would be people buy. And I talked about this on a LinkedIn post, people buy on emotion. Like people don't buy from other people. People buy for emotion. As you said there, Alex, it's it's their needometer. It's going beyond their likes, wants and needs and more of their their pain or their gain of like alleviating that. And, you know, we, we buy, I said it yesterday, we buy on emotion and defend it with rational thinking. Like anything we buy, we you people will ask you about it and you'll defend it with rational thinking. You'll be like, yeah, I saved up this money. I didn't do this for two months. You know, I thought about this, but the real reason why you bought that was because of how you made you feel, like whether it made you feel better or alleviated some pain from it. So I think it's just getting people to sort of tap into that a bit more and realize that it's it's going beyond that person. It's more about thinking about that person didn't buy from you. They bought for themselves from an emotive reason. Yeah. Bang on. Yeah. So what we've talked about there, I mean, some, some of the stuff you were talking about is, and particularly you, Marcus, when you're expanding on, like you say, it's a jigsaw piece. There's so many other bits to it. In, in your opinion, and, and I'll start with you, Alex, what do you, what do you think in the world of sales? And I'm really interested to get different people's perspectives on this is a top trait, a skill or a habit or something that you think people need to be successful. And it might not be something that people are natural at, but something that people can maybe even focus on and really be conscious of when they're selling? Yeah, for me, it might be a slight pivot to, to, to the status quo, um, but it's really passion, drive and hunger for me. And the reason I say that is I often talk to the things that you can be taught and the things that you I can't teach you. Mm. And I can teach someone a sales process. I can teach someone a sales system. I can get someone to a baseline of competence as a sales professional, but I can't teach you how to be driven, how to be hungry, how to be motivated. That's something innate in a person. What I do believe you can do is ignite it or, or help people trigger it within themselves, but it's not something that can be taught. And when I look at the, the elite 1% of sales professionals versus the rest, what they're able to do is take those unteachable things and combine them with utter excellence in all of the teachable things as well, right? So they take effective, effectiveness in implementing a sales process, a system, a methodology, and an approach. They combine it with relentless passion, drive, and hunger, and it puts them into the creme de la creme 1% elite of the industry. So for me, it's really those unteachable characteristics. Yeah. And how has that helped you, do you think, so far in your career personally? It's been critical because, you know, a lot of the time people talk about, you know, what's your motivation or being money motivated and all these, all of these things, which, which are great in their own regards. But, you know, what about when you have a bad month? What about when it gets rocky? Because all of us are going to face that at some point. So if you don't have a compelling why about why you came into the, the space in the first place or a real connected sense about what actually drives you and being a a driven, focused, ambitious person that's com uh, committed to the long game. When the road and the tide starts to get tough, 
you're going to fold. And, you know, in the, this game, and I'm sure it's the same for, for both of you guys being in industry, you know, how many people have we seen come in and go? And that's why some people describe it as, as the meat grinder, why burnout is so high, why churn is so high. Because I think a lot of people come into it with a perception. They see the outcomes. They're not really tr truly driven and motivated and willing to go through the mud to get to those end goals. And so they end up coming in and very shortly exiting. So that's why I think those characteristics are so critical because this game is tough. And, you know, you've got to be ready to, to weather some, some real storms to uh, get to those rewards on the other side. Yeah. And, and with that, with passion, drive and hunger, I find it quite interesting. You probably hear it from people who might say, oh, I'm not naturally driven. I'm not naturally passionate. And I, I, it's often because they haven't found that why, as you mentioned there, to actually kickstart. It's sort of like an engine. They've got the engine, but they don't have the right kind of fuel for it yet. They haven't really found it. So therefore, they don't believe that they've got it. And they just see other people, other top successful salespeople and entrepreneurs and just think they've got it. You know, they've got that drive, that, drive, that passion, but it, it's, it's deeper than that. As you said, it's because they've got a purpose behind it. Exactly. Exactly that, you know, and, and that's why I use the concept of, of igniting it. You use a good example with the cars, right? You know, you might have the key and you might have the, the, the direction to the ignition, but you, you've got to kickstart it and you've got to tap into it. We all have a sense of, uh, we all have a story. We all have a journey. We've all come up through something. There's something in that story or journey that's going to drive someone. You've got to reconnect with it and uh, use that as, as fuel, as you said, Chris. Mm, definitely. What are your thoughts on that on that one there, Marcus, around passion, drive, and hunger? I mean, I, I love it, right? I mean, I think it's um, – you, you see those characteristics in top professionals, right? I mean, any, any top professional, they have to have those, right? Otherwise, they will fizzle out. I mean – in sales, it could either be the highest paying job in the world or the lowest paying job in the world, right? Depending if you have those type of characteristics, you know. And I think it's it's absolutely vital. It's um they have to really tap in deep to what what really under what really drives them, right? And and I found um typically the top professionals they don't need someone to find it for them. They've already found it, right? They've already found it, right? And and maybe they're not in the right role, the right vehicle, if you will, to get to where they want to go. But once they're in the right vehicle, the sky's the limit, right? Once they're put in the right vehicle where they can maximize a comp plan and do all these great things, they do amazing things, right? Like I, I think about the first company I, I worked for, like their comp plan was, was not a good comp plan. It was not designed for a sales professional. And I did very well, got promoted a bunch of times, but it wasn't the right vehicle for me. But once I switched vehicles, man, my income exploded to another level because now I had all that passion, drive, and hunger in the right vehicle. And that took me to the next level, right? So I think it's absolutely critical to be in the right vehicle or you're not going to be able to get to where you want to go, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And you've added a nice layer on that, actually thinking about it where you need, as Alex put, the purpose and the, the why, but then you need the right kind of vehicle beyond that. And it might explain why, particularly in this day and age with our generation and people coming through, people what other generations see as job hopping is it's more around people just trying to find that right kind of vehicle, isn't it? It's like you used to have to sit in a job for 15, 20 years because that was a done thing. But now people are that ambition and that drive and that passion is, is there to see through social media. It's pushing other people to want to go and find it, which is probably explaining why people are jumping around and just trying to find something that is really going to work for them. Like for me personally, when I had been through sales, it wasn't until I moved into the 
role a couple of years ago that I found, right, I've got my purpose and my passion, but now I've got, as you said, Marcus, the vehicle to really help me drive this and and this is what I want. And I I think it it might be, what are your thoughts on, on that in terms of it might be a reason why people are looking around rather than what the other generations think is they just can't find what they want to do. Yeah, well, I think what's interesting about that is I think a lot of people have, um, they have means goals. They don't have ends goals, right? And what I mean by that, like when you have ends goal, like big end goals, you're like, hey, my goal is I want to retire at this age with this much money. They're like these bigger goals to get there, you know? But people don't necessarily think that way. They think more of means goal. Hey, I hope to get this job. Hey, I hope mm-hmm. I get this role. So they have this focus of, hey, I want to get this title, right? And, and I've been guilty of that, right? I'm like, okay, once I, once, I get, once I get this job, once I achieve this milestone, then I'll be happy. But you're never happy, right? So because then you keep compounding on because you keep having these means goals, right? And the problem is most of the time, I think people ju- jump around because they don't know what their end goals are. They don't know what they're working towards, right? So, for example, like I started my business six months ago, right? And it's interesting because, you know, when I left my other company. People are like, oh, hey, so you can go work for another company and do it. No, 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 no. My end goal, my end goals were to retire when I was 40, right? I basically retired when I was 35, right? That was, I made it happen to start my own business because of the end goals that I have, right? That's what I want. I don't want a means goal. I don't want to be a, a, C, a C level exec anymore because that was only part of the path. I want that end goal, right? And when you, when you, once you become crystal clear on that, that changes the direction you go, right? Mm. So instead of going from job to job to job, because you know where you want to go, you make different decisions, right? And that, that, that changes the why I do every single day as a result now because I know where I want to go. And that's what's really critical. So you start with that first and then you can work backwards at how you're going to get there. Yeah, nice. Nice. Chris, can I make a, a, a point off the back of that? Because that, that was really fascinating, um, Marcus, and it was making me kind of think back to when I started out my own career. And it was interesting right. because I felt I had a very clear end goal, but because of the end goal, it led me to, in some people's view, have a reputation as a bit of a job hopper. And I'll tell you why. Because for the for the first six years of my career, my end goal was, I said, I want to be the most well-rounded sales professional on the planet, bar none. And my view at the time at age 19 out in the city was for me to do that, I need exposure to as many different scenarios as possible. And I need to be able to be picked up and put in a different scenario, selling a different product in, uh, on as many occasions as I can to show that you can pick Alex up, you can put him in any environment and he's going to find a way to be in the top. So for the first six years, I said, I'm not going to stay in any company for more than two years. I'm going to go in, I'm going to crush it and I'm going to move on and I'm going to prove I can do it again with a completely different product. So product one was photocopiers and printers. I went from that to selling learning and uh, development training courses online. I went from that to selling security and access management systems. So the point I'm making is, you know, I, I was a bit all over the place, to be honest with you, you know, a year and a half, two years. But every time I did it, I got to the top. I said, right, I've proven it. I can do it. But Marcus's point is really valuable because the end goal was always, I want to be the most well-rounded sales professional on the planet. I mean, that goal has never changed, right? And I'm still 
on that path and I'm a lot further along with it. But I'm just making that to say that there's different angles to look at this. So for people listening, you know, there's another pivot point depending on, again, what the end goal is. Mm. Yeah, that's great. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we've got hunger, drive and passion from Alex. What about you, Marcus? What's, what's something that you think alongside that, which obviously you spoke about, that you think is essential to be successful in the world of sales? Yeah, you know, it's interesting as, um, you know, I was, I was thinking a lot about this, right? I think a lot of people talk a lot about, um, you know, EQ, emotional intelligence, or IQ, you know, actual intelligence. Um, I think the actual most important characteristic is actually AQ, right? AQ being the adaptability quotient, right? Your ability to adapt to situations, no matter what's being thrown at you, right? And Alex has made a perfect example. That's why he's the best of the best. He went from job to job to job, not because... He wasn't good. He was great. And he adapted every situation, every scenario, every sales process, every product, right? And those with the highest AQ can do that. Those can go around and, and whether it's from selling different products to within a sales cycle, when something, when there's an obstacle, which happens, you have an obstacle, the deal's not going through. How do you adapt on the fly to keep moving the ball down the field towards the end goal of closing that new partnership. So, and that's from sales cycle to every situation you're being thrown in, right? Oh, economies, you know, falls apart. COVID hits. Those are the highest AQ are the ones who are thriving, right? And if and when you have the AQ, it doesn't really matter what's being thrown at you because you can't control many things. You will find a way to, to achieve your goals, right? And you'll you'll find ways to get through your obstacle or around your obstacle. So if you have high AQ, it doesn't matter what happens, whatever you sell, you will win in any scenario you're being put in. Yeah, yeah, such a, such a good point. I'd recommend actually, uh, if, you're, if you're a big AQ, there's a guy called John Sane. I'm not sure if you've heard of him. He's got a book called What's Your Moonshot? I'd really recommend mm. you tapping into that because he talks a lot around AQ. It's really fascinating, actually, and what you just yeah. mentioned there. I think it's so true, isn't it? You know, in the world of sales, you, you, we've all seen people who are who are great, but as soon as they're under pressure or something changes, they 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 just lose it. Like their mindset completely right. shifts, and it, like you say, it's those people that might not you might not see it that are always at the top, but at the moment, but because they're able to adapt, they're able to work whatever they make the situation work for them. Really, hundred percent. One hundred percent. What are your thoughts around that, Alex? I love the point. I mean, I was kind of just sitting back, digesting because I've never, I've never heard it before. Actually, um, as as Marcus said, you normally hear IQ, EQ, all of these things, and I, I just love the way that that was framed. And I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, adaptability. The question I was actually asking myself as to why I sat back was was how someone can train that. Or, you know, how someone can move the needle on that. And, you know, when I look again at, at my own journey and what I've seen of other people, that word exposure almost comes back to mind. You know, you need to walk towards discomfort and uncomfortable mm. positions to then get comfortable in them quickly. And the more you do that, I think it puts you in a great position to build on that muscle that Marcus has talked about of AQ, because, you know, what a lot of people are doing. And sometimes they get on call with pe- calls with people and hear their stories. You know, everyone's looking for the quickest route and the easiest route to get to the outcome. Whereas, you know, I always say and, and try and encourage people, well, well, why do that? Walk through the mud, go through the rain. 
you know, make yourself and put yourself in positions where you've got to pivot and you've got to adjust quickly because the person who goes through and weathers the storm, they're going to come out a much more well-rounded and, and polished, uh, you know, finished article versus the person that's seeking the shortcut, the quick way to the end goal, the instant gratification, who will likely, you know, when times start to get tough or you need to make those adjustments, they're just probably not going to be as battle-tested and well uh, and ready. And you only have to look at, you know, our troops and people, uh, you know, that serve our country. You know, look at the training and look at the, the, the regiment that they have to go through, right? Look at these Navy SEAL programs. It's putting people in the most uncomfortable situations day in and day out so that they can be ready to go and serve on the front line. And as salespeople, I think that we need to do the same thing. Put ourselves in these uncomfortable positions on a regular basis so that you come out and you're battle ready. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think, you know, it's it's about isn't talking to your point about how you can give advice on to train this out. Because obviously I'm very conscious we don't want to just talk about stuff. It's already what I was talking about it is how do you do it? Um, I suppose it's for me, like, and what I thought was, because I, when I started my sales career, I was doing door to door, knock a hundred doors a day, permission only, loft and cavity walls. And, you know, one of the things that I was very conscious of was just do, not being led by how I was feeling or what the weather was like, or what the first door was like, because people are so quick, we're so quick as human beings to, to find patterns and to, to see thinking, go, oh, it's raining. And, you know, if we think, oh, we're not going to have a good day because it's raining every time it rains, we're then going to think we're not going to have a good day. It's like, I don't feel like it's day, but I'm still going to do it. Because if I be, start, let myself do that, if I don't do this cold calling session this morning, I don't feel like it. I'm setting myself for a pattern, as you said, that, well, you know, now there's a pandemic, you, people are probably aren't feeling like it at all. And if you've had that mindset, you're probably not going to be that successful at the moment. Yeah, Chris, just to add to some more, right? I've I found um, it's a very it's a subconscious thing until you make it conscious, right? Um, most people are unaware of the questions they ask themselves, which ultimately determine how they feel and believe, which impacts their end result because their actions are going to take. So when something happens, something when they're put in an uncomfortable situation, for example, COVID nineteen, right? The average and weak rep says, "Oh no." My quota is still high. Why is this happening to me? Oh, my goodness. Why us? This is terrible. You know, why is this happening? What, you know, I, I can't do anything about this. Why, am I, why is my boss on my case? This is, this is how they think, right? Top reps and top professionals think, okay, obviously, it's a bad situation. What can I do now? How can I make the most of the situation how can I solve this problem? How can I benefit in this situation when any, everyone else is panicking? What can I do to create a better future for tomorrow? And when you ask yourself better, empowering questions that lead to better answers, then you'll get better thoughts, beliefs, and ultimately actions and results, right? Like when you think about like right now, I guarantee you there are people making millions and millions and millions of dollars right now in this pandemic that have nothing to do with healthcare or toilet paper or sanitizer because simply they're asking themselves, how can I utilize the situation to ethically win? That's what they're doing. What, you want better answers? Ask yourself better questions. And you'll solve many problems. Mm, yeah. And also to your point there, Marcus, is sometimes they're not even questions, they're statements. That's where we, we stop ourselves is, I always use the analogy, I don't know if you've heard it, he talked to you about it before, Alex, is 
our minds are a bit like a Google search engine, like anything we type in, they're going to come back with. So right. if you type in the earth is flat, and I don't know if anyone's seen the flat earth on Netflix, um, it will come back with all the evidence to show you why. But if you ask it questions, it will come back with more constructive ways to look at things. So right. it's such a valid point is, you know, it's one thing I talk about a lot is, is self-talk is because particularly now in isolation, you know, what kind of conversations are you having with yourselves? And so many people aren't conscious of that. Even even when they are trying to be conscious of it, really. Oh yeah, I mean, reality is, is I remember early on being new to sales, and I was going door to door businesses, right? <clears throat> so I respect that. I, I remember that, <laughs> you know. And it's so easy when you had a, lo- a tough day, you know, where you're, you're you're pounding doors and people are shutting the slamming door on you, they're kicking you out, people are pulling guns on you, dogs are biting you, weird stuff's happening to you, and you want to just go melt, you know. But in my car, in my car, I had a visor. Add those questions, those type of questions typed out. So I could read the questions out loud to repro- to train my mind, to reprogram my mind, to view the situation in a better way. What can I learn? How can I apply? How can I get better? How can I get through this? How can I become successful regardless of the circumstances? And that changes the result and ultimately things happen. Mm, nice. So we've, we know we talked to, you can't get away from talking about COVID at the moment. <laughs> we won't dwell on it too much, but I suppose COVID or not, particularly now within the world of sales, that uh, you know, there's a lot of noise, there's a lot of competition, it's a lot of crowded areas. I'd love to get your opinions on some constructive ways or some creative ways to to get in front of prospects right now, whether that is virtually over a video um, or getting a meeting. Obviously, once we can start seeing each other again. So, Alex, coming to you, is there anything, you know, I'm sure you've got a ton and I've seen a load of great stuff that you've shared on LinkedIn, but is there any sort of one thing that you really feel like is is a great piece of advice that people can utilize at the moment? Yeah, and, and you're right in that it's noisy at the moment. It's very, very noisy, right? And we're all in this position where it's like phase one, you want to get attention and, and get getting attention right now. Is, is certainly uh, harder than it's ever been or more of a, a challenge than it's ever been. So, you know, I always have this concept of my mind of, of firing on all cylinders. And I think that that's more relevant now than it's ever been before. And to, to expand on that slightly more, you know, there's, there's tons of different means, I guess, by which you can seek to get attention, seek to get a message out there. But now we need to be more creative and have... Uh, more of it, more consistency across a number of different channels and approaches. And to, to put that into more of a tangible approach is, you know, you might be doing a blog, for example, you might be currently sending messages out to prospects, for example. And if you're sending those messages out today, do what Marcus does, right? Try video instead of text, do something different so that you've got uh, a more creative way of trying to command attention on that channel. But also, for example, as I say, if you're blogging today and you're doing a ton on Instagram, why not try and contact your prospect on a completely different social platform? You know, experiment with something new, respond to a tweet, um, engage with their content again on a different platform. So when I say fire on all cylinders, it's really just having a multi-threaded approach across a number of different channels and being creative in the ways in which you leverage them. And so, you know, people have probably seen a, an uptick in me doing more video content, getting the blog articles going, um, still doing the, the, the in-mails in at the same time, but doing more voice notes there than actual written text. 
and this is all part of that that experimentation piece where it starts to separate you separate you from the pack mm, nice yeah really good tips there how about yourself marcus anything to add on that anything different yeah so uh, awesome i love exactly everything alex he's absolutely spawn right i mean uh, to be creative and to stand out is a skill, right? Um, so the tip I'm going to give, and this is probably like, this This will still work during our current time right now, but once we evolve out, because this is going to die down. It's, it's, it's already happened. We're starting to see a lot. The trend lines go down, right? Um, this next thing I'm going to teach, it's very simple. Now, I typically would only do this for a decent-sized account, right? Because it's not as scalable. But if you do this, you'll probably have a 60 to 70% booking ratio with what I'm about to go through. It's very simple and very tactical tip, okay? And um, I call it um, I call the, the funny gifter, if you will, right? So reality is, is like um, you, you want to say as much as you can to your prospect, okay? So unless you have their home address, which you, you probably don't, you don't, want to send them, you don't want to send your prospects home to their office where they should receive it, right? <laughs> um, but you, you send them something that's going to stand out and be funny. So, for example, right, and I'm sure, uh, you know, even out in the UK, there's probably like discount like clothing stores out there probably, right? You can buy like discount clothes or, you know, like name brands, whatever. So, you go you go to the shoe aisle and you just get a bunch of shoes, okay? Shoes, right? Random pairs of shoes, right? And you maybe it's a, a loafer, whatever it is. You take that loafer, you put it into a mailing package, all right? And inside there, you have a handwritten note, all right, or if you have terrible handwriting like I do, I have to type it, okay? And in the note, it says something like, you know, hey, Alex, my name is Marcus with Venley. You know, I just want to get my foot in the door, all right? <laughs> okay? <laughs> Hoping to set up some time to chat with you how I've been able to help XYZ company save X percent, increase revenue by 25, whatever you want to say. I'll be reaching out to you soon. Here's my information just in case, all right? You throw that into a not a box parcel. You're gonna want one of those like um, like letter size one that's like still water resistant. When you put it inside there, it's an odd shaped package, okay? And then you can you just ship it directly to them, or if you want to hand deliver, you can, right? You ship it directly to them. This odd shaped package is gonna arrive to your decision maker's office. All right. Now they have you back in the office, obviously, right? Now if you think about this. So this is an odd-shaped shoe. It's an odd-shaped package. And I don't know if you've ever been inside a decision-maker's office. Most of the time you walk in, there's boxes everywhere, right? That package is going to be in there. Since it's odd-shaped, nothing else can go on top because it'll fall over. So it's going to be on top. So when you grab a package, Chris, are you grabbing from the bottom of the stack or top of the stack? I'm going top. You're going top, baby. So you can grab my package first open up and you're like who is this guy <laughs> and on it because nobody sends a shoe okay and now you stood out right and obviously you have that great outreach with a follow-up phone call right to reach out. I'm, I'm the guy who sent you the shoe right like <laughs> and now it's a great conversation you add levity to the situation it breaks it down right and they're like oh wow and now you stand out and that's a really great way it's, it's creative, it's funny, and you obviously can't do hundreds of weeks. Well, maybe you could, right? You know, but like if you do 10 a week and you book six and 60 cents account appointments off that, that's well worth your time. And you can get creative. The shoe is just one example, right? I've done hot sauce bottles, right? 
Don't get burnt by the competition. Let me talk about how I can help save you, right? <laughs> you know, you can get really creative. I mean, I've done simple stuff, right? Odd-shaped box of chocolates, right? You know, like, hey, I want to send you some chocolate to thank you in advance for meeting with me. Same, same concept, odd-shaped package, right? Because no one else is doing it, right? And when you do that, automatically you cut through everything else because if people are going to be mailing something, it's usually like a, a parcel letter, a flat letter, right? Maybe some, maybe something a little thicker. That's really it. But they're not sending things like that. Mm. And what happens is when you do that, you stand out. And of course, you can do some nicer things if you want because it's get to uh, reciprocity, right? Because if you get something nice, they want to give you something back, right? But you don't have to. I found the humorous ones are the ones that cut through all the noise. And people are like, wow. It's kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of like, what do you do with the video message on the, the LinkedIn messaging? Same concept, right? If you're being, if you're funny, you're goofy, like I'll literally like, I'll wear my, I have a weight vest that I wear and I'll film people videos with my weight vests, right? Like prospects. And they're like, and I'll, and I'll mention, I'm like, and, and then they like, and then they always like laugh, and respond back, right? So what happens is because I'm adding levity to the situation, they're laughing, guard is down. And mm. that's what I need. I just need that door open up a little bit because once I'm in, it's done, right? Yeah. So, the hardest part is always open the door. So if you are creative, humorous, and you learn how to stand out by something simple like that, you can open way more doors and then everything else of a good process will fall in place and you have a higher likelihood to close that deal as a result. Yeah. Just a little tip right there. I love that. I love that. I'm sure there'll be a lot of uh, increase in loafers now you've mentioned that. Oh, I know. Idea. Yeah, you don't have my loafers. It could be Nike shoes, etc. This is why I say you go to the discount area yeah. because like, you're like, I, in our discount area, in, in town or a lot of places in, in, the, in the states, you can buy a, a discount like you know pair of shoes for like twenty bucks, right? And you just take you just take one shoe. You don't you know that's ten dollars, right? Or if you want your kids' shoes, mine is cheaper, right? Um, it just it's a it'll cost you five dollars, ten dollars plus shipping for a lead. So ten, twelve dollars for a deal that will yield you ten, twenty, thirty, forty, hundred, hundred k plus, right? Well yeah. worth it. Well worth yeah. the ROI. Yeah, definitely. It it comes down to pattern interrupt, doesn't it? We're so habitual in, oh, in how we do things, and also as buyers, you know, every time you see an email now, hi X, hope you're well. You're thinking straight away, selling something like this is, and it just people just get into that program, don't they? Particularly on a mobile phone now, you can see the preview, and you think straight away, I don't need to read that. And I, I love that point, and I've I've heard a couple of other great examples. I spoke to on the previous series. A guy called Stu Heinker, who's a cartoon editor for the Wall Street Journal. And um, he's got a great book of how to get a meeting with anyone. And he talks about this guy that was a, a turnaround specialist for businesses. And he, he knew the, the guy who built the swords for Gladiator, the film Gladiator. Yeah. So he would read the broadsheets and see these companies that were struggling and would then identify them. And he'd get a sword made up and he'd get the CEO's name engraved in it. Yes. And he'd, yep. he'd put a personal note in there and he's, he'd send it to him and go, hi, Marcus, business is war. And I've seen you've been ha having a few battles recently. If you need an extra pair of hands on the battlefield, give me a call. And again, like you say, got an amazing response to that because, you know, particularly now with all these automation, everything, it's not enough to get a letter or something from someone because people can just think you, it might have my name, but it's still, I know this has come through some system. Oh yeah. How, how do you differentiate yourself from that? So I love, I love the suggestion there. Your your uh, your uh, audience won't be able to see this, but this this person, I kept this pen right here. They sent me a customized pen, right? With my company name on there, my number on there, right? 
I mean, this probably cost them like, I don't know, maybe 20 cents to do realistically, right? Um, I don't want any of those pens, but when I am ready, I'm sure it's like calling this company, right? I'm calling this company who sent me this, uh, this, this customized pen because they stood out. Yeah. yeah. Just, uh, it, I mean, these are phenomenal points. It actually reminds me of uh, a sales rep that I used to work with years ago. And he had a, a similar strategy, but he used to always send food, send pizza and send a, a message with the uh, delivery driver. Yeah. And he used to swear by that as his thing because bit like Marcus is saying, it brings a smile to his uh, to faces. But he would say that, you know, with pizza, everyone gets a slice. So he would almost get champions within the organization yes. as a byproduct of doing it that way, as well as the decision maker, because the decision maker would go and share the pizza with the team. Uh, and so it's just interesting, right? There's, there's a few different ways to play it. And the only other point I'd make is that, you know, people really need to think about, uh, as Marcus is talking about shoes, wearing your customers or your prospect shoes. Because you made the point, Chris, of when you see that message come through and you kind of see those first few words, how you react. And we're all buyers in our own right for, for different things. You know, Marcus just spoke about the pen. And so think about when you're doing your outreach, what would you want to read? for you to read any further than the first few words. Because half the time, you, you know yourself what would trigger you, what would get your own attention. Just think about that the other way around and use the same strategy that you'd use on yourself for someone else because we've touched on the fact we're all people and the same types of things that will capture attention are you know pretty broad-based. So just wear your customer shoes, right? Or... Yeah. Uh, or, or wear a pair of Marcuses that will send out to you either or, right? <laughs> we used to do we used to do cakes too, right? That's fine, fine. So we would do cakes, right? So the pizza, um, because the cakes we would put on there, switching to us as a piece of cake, right? And we put the <laughs> logos on there, right? And then on top of that, because they using their large large deals, right? Um, the cake would be cut in pieces, right, in the break room, so it would last longer. Got it. I, we tested pizza. Pizza was great. Pizza sandwiches would be eaten up pretty fast, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the cake lasts. So that, that decision makers would walk into the break room, they would see it, right? You know, the only downside of food was like, if they weren't there that day, that's the only downside, you know? Like, <laughs> and then, like ah, then it goes off. You will be there. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's great. I think um, to add to your points, so what I love about uh, both of yours is talking about the online world and the offline world. And, and, you know, it's, it's, it's a great thing, isn't it? We've gone online and we've found this instant way to engage with people, but it doesn't be the good old-fashioned approach of just delivering and posting something because not many people are doing it. And to your point, Alex, as well, going on a different platform and, and engaging with someone on their Instagram or their, their Twitter through their, you know, if it's, if it's open, that is, to, to engage with it, is, it's just making a, a different noise where it might be a little less noisy for them. Um, you know, for me, one of the things that's worked for me is, you know, I've got this thing written behind me just to remind me at the moment around leading with empathy and honesty um, is I've talked a lot about it with empathy and sales, but honesty is at the moment when I'm calling someone up and it does make them laugh when they pick up, I'll say, look, this is a sales call. Do you want to hang up? And they're like, depends what it's about, <laughs> but they'll laugh because it's just, they're not used to it. And I'll say, well, I'll tell you what it's about in 30 seconds. And then if you don't think it's something that can help you, you you can just tell me to, to leave you alone. Does that sound fair? And they're like, yeah, why not? I've got 30 seconds. So I'll run through three and then I'll just say, look, you know, 
would you say any of these apply to you? Would you say you can relate to any of these? And if they say no, then it's like, fine, but you know, you've given me a chance, you've given me an opportunity to speak, and it's just kind of creating a different, different kind of angle on things. That's right. That's cool. I like that. That's, that's different. I like yeah. it. Because people aren't used to it. Because my flip side of why I've been doing that, and I think you know, some of the stuff we've talked about now is what I really want to drive home and what I've been saying to people is how we're adapting to sell right now is how we should always sell, like pandemic or not. It's, it's, you know, if you're having to adapt to sell at this moment with changing your approach, don't just change it when this comes out of it because a lot of good things can come from how you're engaging and empathizing with people right now. Um, but I think you know, when, when you approach things like that, at the moment when someone is picking up, if all they're thinking is, is this a cold call? And if they're thinking that, they're not actually listening to what you're saying anyway. So it doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what your elevator pitch is. You might as well call it out. It is what it is. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting as well, Chris, because, you know, I think the phone in itself is um, becoming less and less common amidst what I'm seeing and hearing from people in SDR and, and BDR roles. And when I started my career in, in a BDR role, you know, it was 200, 300 calls a day. Um, there was really no other channel of focus. It was mm. a, a list and, and you call. Um, that was just the, the, the go-to. And just before this, I was I was speaking to um, an aspirational SDR who had questions and asked them to kind of walk me through what their world looks like today. And phones not involved at all. It was all social and email. And so I think we also shouldn't forget about the phone as a channel. And I'm not saying it's extinct. And I know there are still a lot, lot of companies that but focus on that. But, you know, if you're not, don't forget that is a channel. And it's a channel that still plays a massive, massive role. I'm seeing a lot more um, people in, in, in many different careers shy away from it because the social and the email feels a bit easier because you type something yeah. and you send something. Um, easy to hide behind a screen. It's easy it's, to hide. It's less personal, isn't it? You feel less. Yeah. You you feel like someone isn't rejecting you as personally when it's on the phone. Exactly. Exactly. So I just say, you know, don't forget that 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 still remains a staple and will always be a staple mm. in my view. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Alex and Marcus, you know, it's been a, a real pleasure chatting with you today. We could probably go on forever um, about these these topics. I'm sure we will pick it up again at some point. So thank you both. Thanks My for having us on. Pleasure. Thanks so much, Chris. And um, for people that do want to sort of stay tuned and, and find out a bit more about what's going on in your world, obviously, Alex, since we spoke on the last podcast, you launched your business. So congratulations to that. So um, for you, first of all, where can people find you and find out a bit more about that as well? Well, it'd be criminal not to lead with LinkedIn. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, simply my name, Alex, and then surname A-L-L-E-Y-N-E. Uh, my website is self-titled, a quick search on LinkedIn, and you'll find me. And the business page is growth-iq.com. And the last thing is my handle on most other sales platforms, excuse me, social platforms, is uh, at saleslifealex. Great, great. Thank you. And, and Marcus, for yourself? I appreciate that, right? Thanks for having us on. Tons of fun, of course. Love hanging out with Alex or the uh, rush hour of sales. So... Uh, <laughs> Obviously, go right to my LinkedIn, which is uh, Marcus Chan on uh, LinkedIn. Pretty easy to find. It's the only, unless something changes today, the only Marcus Chan out there with the headline that says anything about Speedos in there. So if there's Speedos in there, so it should be the only one. All right. So it's easy to find. 
Uh, you'll find some website stuff in there. But um, I think right now, like as a, a deposit to your listeners out there, I do have a completely br- a free resource, which is if you go to succeedwithchan.com, which is succeedwithchan.com, it's an online free community. People can ask questions about B2B sales, share best practices, and learn for free. And it's free training and stuff. It's, it's a huge resource for people out there. So super glad to uh, be on. Great. Great. Well, thank you both again. And for listeners, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Not Another Sales Podcast. Hey, people. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Not Another Sales Podcast. If you want to find out more and connect with me, you can find me on LinkedIn under Chris Hatfield, H-A-T-F-I-E-L-D, or on my website, www.notanothersalesguy.com. That's www.notanothersalesguy.com. Stay tuned in future for some courses and free content on there as well. But for now, have a good one and I'll catch you soon.